excited to share the word of the Lord with you today and uh, kind of get this thought out of my brain that God's been working up the last month, month and a half or so. And I want to talk to you about this topic um, that I know um, you have to be very cautious when you say it, uh, Mary Shiftmas. You got to be really careful. You got you to really get the in there when you do that, right? Otherwise, people get really mad at you. <laughs> I want to talk to you about this topic um, because literally about a month or so, maybe two, two months ago, God really started putting this idea into my brain. And when he did, the first thing I said was, well, that ain't going to work because people are going to yell at me when I say it. <laughs> and so I kept studying and going different places and doing different things. And it was funny, you and Tiff, uh, Tiff said to me, hey, are there any scriptures I need to stay away from tonight when I'm talking about stuff? Um, and I was like, I doubt it because I'm not even reading the story of birth. So I think we're good. And she's like, oh, yeah, we're good then. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I want to talk about this shift that I believe that God is, is doing in this place. And really, in our culture in general, and what we need to start recognizing. Because, I'll be honest with you, uh, shifting is uncomfortable. And I can tell you a good little story about this. Um, when I was first driving, okay, my first car, now everyone's like, hey, what was your first car, man? You know, like, that's a, that's a good topic of conversation. And I'm always like, my first car was a Ford Mustang. And they're like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, yeah, man, bought it with my own money, you know, Ford Mustang, you know. And people were like, man, that's cool. You had a cool first car. I didn't have a cool first car. Um, it was a Ford Mustang, I'll be honest with you. And I think Ford Mustangs are cool. But this is a 1984 Ford Mustang LX, okay, which means it only had a four-cylinder engine in it. Now, for those of you that don't understand engines, four-cylinder Ford Mustang, no. Very bad. Little teeny engine in what's supposed to be very cool, strong car. Not good. I know Mike wanted to say something when I said strong car and I said Ford up here. And I was worried he was going to stand up and, you know, reprimand me in the church. Um, so I had, this, I had this little car. And so, you know what? I, to be honest, I only got to drive it once or twice, and then I sold it. And uh, I drove an Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra for the longest time. It was really, in first cars, it was really my first car. It was maroon. And I say maroon because it sounds more manly than purple, right? <laughs> and uh, there came a day where I was fine, like, all right, it's time to move out of your grandpa stage, Tom, and get a car. Like, get something else. And uh, the decision that I made wasn't a bright one. It didn't fit me. It didn't fit who I was. It, it had there's no reason I should have ever owned this car. I bought a 1990 Mitsubishi Eclipse. Okay, now imagine me in all flannel and Wrangler jeans and work boots and a Mitsubishi Eclipse. Like it just didn't make sense. Like there was nothing about it that made sense. But it was something different, right? I'd never, I was like, man, this is kind of a cool little car, you know? It was really clean. It's a great interior. I was like, man, this is cool. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to buy this car. So I did. Problem with the car was it was a manual transmission. Now, the Oldsmobile Cutlass here, just so you know, that was not a manual transmission car. Um, I think they probably only made it in automatic. So I never drove a Mitsubishi Eclipse before, and let alone a car that was a manual transmission. So I had to learn. So I'll tell you what my dad did. 
My dad, uh, I bought the car, having no clue how to drive this car. Um, my dad drove it home for me, and he was like, it's all right, I'm going to teach you how to drive this thing. And he drove me, we actually drove right down this road, we drove right down this road, and we drove over to the children's home there, and he pulled in and parked, and he said, all right, just start driving it. And I was like, well, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. He's like, that's how you're going to learn, right? Just start doing it. So I just started doing it, okay? Um, Bethany, uh, then my girlfriend, uh, she wasn't really thrilled with the idea of the manual transmission uh, because I had no clue what I was doing. No clue. And there was one day that we, uh, I, was, I was taking her and her sister to school because I was a good guy and I took her and her sister to school. Um, I would wait out in front of the house and I would probably get really annoyed because it was taking them so long to get out of the house. Um, and we got to a point where we were leaving and we were right over there by Kroger in Goshen. Back then it was Thriftway, but um, we were parked there and it's just a slight hill, just, just a smidge of a hill. Okay, and there's a white cargo van that like gets right on top of me. Okay, and I'm so new, I'm so green at this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna roll backwards into this guy. I know I'm gonna roll backwards in this guy. Like I, I just know it because I am not good at takeoff. And for those of you who have never drove a manual transmission, the takeoff is what you got to master. The rest of it, you can just flap that thing around. It doesn't matter, right? Like it never caused me any problem. I could be going 90 down the highway and go to second. It's all good, right? But taking off, it's not good. Never mind. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Taking off from nothing, and even worse, a hill, a slight hill, a hill nonetheless. It was a hill. I'm calling it a hill. Okay? It was scary. And I'm just telling Bethany, this is not good. This is not good. And she's like, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You know, she's cheering me on like, you got this. You can do this, you know. She's my cheerleader. And, uh, um, and so as soon as the light turns green, I'm like off the clutch, slamming the gas, and I am burning rubber <laughs> to the point that there is white smoke coming from these tires as I'm turning. <laughs> Bethany in that moment is literally, I don't know why, she was sinking into the floorboard. Like she, she was not happy. So that is my, that is the reality that I had that shifting can sometimes be uncomfortable, right? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's an, it's an uncomfortable experience, right? But it's necessary. Like I couldn't literally just sit there all day, <laughs> Eventually, the cops would be like, dude, you've really got to, like, move this thing along, right? It can be uncomfortable. And it brought me to the whole idea to the birth of Christ, okay? Because the birth of Christ, there was a lot of shifting taking place for this to happen, right? You've all heard this story. We've talked about it many times, right? Literally, a census had to take place to bring Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem so that Jesus could fulfill prophecy. That's a shift, right? That's, that's something that had to take place. Now, for you ladies, how many of you are interested in going for a donkey ride when you're nine months pregnant? <laughs> no takers on that, right? That's uncomfortable, right? The Magi, as she was talking about, they traveled very, very far to come see this baby. 
They stopped what they were doing, what they were focused on, everything that was going on to come be a part of it. It was a shift. Shepherds did the same. King Herod literally shifted the focus of his entire army to go kill any male child that was two, or year, two years old or younger to just kill them. That's a completely, that's a huge shift of focus, resources, and everything because of Jesus. Because of this birth of this child. And so when it came to our Christmas service, and it came to where God has been taking us, the first thing that he's been talking to me about has been a shift. I believe that there is a shift coming. And the, the reason is, is, and we have to begin preparing and gearing ourselves up. See that here, gearing, gearing up. I said, talked about shifting gears before. Yeah, keep up. You're going to get this, right? He wants to shift everything in your life. He wants to rearrange everything in your life. Every single thing you can imagine. Your marriage, your children, your schedule, everything. See, the baby came and the baby messed up everything, right? Everything got shifted out of order. What they thought was order. See, the, the reality is, is that if I ask you this, how many of you in the last year have experienced some sort of shift in your life? I know I have. It's coming, if it's not already there. It's constant. It's never going to get away. And see, Jesus from his infancy, from his infancy, caused a shift in every single thing that is around him. So my question to you is if Jesus hasn't shifted something already in your life, when are you going to let him? That's where we've got to get to. We got to start recognizing that if everything that Jesus ever touched, everything he ever got around, everything that he ever encountered had this enormous change, this enormous shift, this enormous change in, in priority and responsibility and everything, then when is your shift going to come? When is your shift going to take place? When are you going to allow him to truly become the Lord of your life who is shifting everything that you do? I believe that's where he's taking us. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. And I want to talk about a couple of different topics that are maybe a little Christmassy. Um, last week we talked about the whole idea that we don't know nothing. Um, so I hope you guys, your egos are starting to get a little bit better um, after realizing that you don't know nothing. But tonight I want to talk to you uh, about a couple of different things and really our perspective around them. Okay? If you think about it, we look at Christmas as a time of peace, right? We talk about um, loving your neighbor, giving gifts. I appreciate all these things. These are all good things. These aren't bad things I'm talking about, right? Uh, they're great. I love them. I enjoy them. Hoorah. Um, I opened some gifts today, which were great. I loved them, okay? That's great. But I want you to see what Matthew 10 says because we're, we're talking about peace, right? Here's what Matthew 10, verses 34 through 36 says. Now, this is Jesus talking. If you're looking in your Bible, it's probably red. If I had prepped them, they could probably change these words to red pretty easily. Okay, So just so you know, this is Jesus talking. He says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn... A man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies 
will be the members of his own household. Say what? (laughs) Wait a minute. We're singing songs like, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. (laughs) And Jesus is like, hey, I just want to make sure I clear this up real quick. I didn't come to bring no peace. Now, I'm not saying that peace is bad. I believe that God has intended for us to live peaceably, right? But I also believe that if Christ is the center of your life, okay, if he is literally if he is literally directing every path that you take, I'm telling you right now, people aren't going to feel peaceful around you all the time. They're going to feel something because of the Holy Spirit inside of your life that is going to make them think twice about the life that they're living. And that's why Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I didn't, bring, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. The whole idea behind bringing a sword is what does a sword really do? Divides, right? A sword divides. It is intended to do nothing more than divide. I don't know what else you do with a sword, right? I could even, let's call it a butcher knife. For dividing, right? That's what it's intended to do. And so when we look at what Jesus is talking about here, Jesus is telling us that he has come and the things that he's going to put into our spirits, the thing that he's going to tell us to do is going to be completely, completely different than what everyone else is going to expect or want you to do. It's not going to make people always peaceful. Now, I believe that Jesus gives us peace, but the thought and the process of living a life that honors God, that follows after his commandments and after his will for your life, is not always going to make everyone else around you peaceful. Right? Right? It's not always going to do this. I listened to a sermon a few years back. Um, I'll never forget this line because it was amazing. And uh, it was a pastor. He had um, he was actually speaking at a youth conference. And uh, what was amazing about what he was saying is he was talking about I have all these parents come up to me that say, "Man, I really want my kids just get a hold of the glory of God. I want them I want them to be passionate. I want them to want God more than they want anything in their lives. I just I want them to go just go so deep into His presence and and, and His holiness and His righteousness. I want them to be holy and righteous." And he looked at him and he said, "No, you don't." And I was like, ooh, that's going to be dicey, <laughs> right? <laughs> ooh, that'll be fun. And what he told the parents, he said, because if they really got that, they would be telling you what you should be doing with your life. And I was like, ooh, that would not be a, a comfortable conversation. <laughs> and the reality is, is that what we've done is we've, we've allowed someone else, we've allowed someone else to live that holy life, and we try to piggyback off of it. We, we try to piggyback off of the pastor's life. I'm just going to tell you right now, don't try to piggyback off of mine because you are going to look way worse <laughs> than when you came in here because <laughs> I ain't got it together. Not yet. Not ever. <laughs> we find ourselves trying to attach to people or to things, and the reality is, is we need to be connecting with Jesus. We want to create these environments, these events, these things, these places, these whatever it is, guys. And the whole reality is we're, we're, creating, we're creating things 
And we're talking about things and we're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about peace, but we're never talking about Jesus. We're never talking about the fact of who he was, was someone that disrupted everything around us. And we think that we can, we can punch our ticket to heaven, right? We can say, I, do, I believe in the baby. I believe that he came. I believe in all of that. But we don't ever let him lead our lives, the shift that I believe that God is taking is going to do in this house is going to happen because we're finally going to put him on his rightful throne in our own lives. He's already on the throne, but you need to let him get on the throne of your own lives. People, listen, you know what people despise? Holiness. Holiness makes people angry. It doesn't make sense, right? You think holiness and you think, well, they're doing good things. They're trying to do righteous things. They're trying to, no, no, no. People will get angry at you for being holy. People will get angry at you because you don't participate in what they're participating on. And what they try to do is they try to make you feel guilty for not joining in in their fun. Oh, because you're holier than I am. Right? That's the things that they try to put into our heads. And the problem is, is that what we do is we back off from our stance to be holy. We back off from what Jesus really wants us to do, and we choose not to make that real shift to follow him. Turn with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We talk about peace, and we talk about how Jesus really <laughs> didn't come necessarily to bring peace. That it immediately caused the division, even within the religious, right? A division within the religious about what was taking place. The next thing I want to talk to you is about joy. Because I do believe that a big part of this shift is we have to get back to being joyful. Joyful. See, Jesus <laughs> Jesus told us to be like the little children, right? My children are so packed with joy that I usually have to yell at them to please be quiet. <laughs> Anyone have that problem at home? I have that problem, right? So joyful that I'm like, I can't even think you're so joyful. I don't say it like that. It would probably sound a lot better if I said it like that. That's not typically how I say it. Again, don't piggyback on this guy. I got it all wrong, guys. <laughs> Joy, Psalm 51. We're going to read verses 12 through 17. It says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I'm, I'm, I want to talk about a whole lot more here, but I just want you to just, I want you to hear that, guys. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You've heard that before. Many, many pastors and preachers have probably talked about it, and they're going to talk about it way better than I ever could. But I want, you to, I want this to sink into your spirit, that the salvation that you carry should bring with it joy. And if it's not bringing joy with it, we need to get recalibrated, right? We need to get recalibrated because the fact that we aren't going to a life, uh, uh, an eternity of torment, that's something to be joyful about. That's something to, to be excited about. And so this writer is telling them, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And, but this is, this is where I think we need to get to. Grant me a willing spirit. See, it's one thing to capture the joy and the salvation of the Lord, but to stay in a spirit with a mentality that says, I'm not going to leave this place, God. 
I'm not going to let something else distract me. I'm not going to let something else pull me out of here. I'm not going to let something else take me in a place that I'm not supposed to be because I'm going to have a spirit that is going to be willing to submit to your will and your purposes for my life. That happens when we walk in the joy of salvation. I want to keep reading what it says here. It says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. People talk about why isn't the church, why isn't the church really leading people to Jesus? Why why don't why don't we, you know, we talk about this in discipleship all the time. How many, how many people of you in the last year had someone come to you and actually try to get you to believe in Jesus? Someone you didn't know. Total stranger who walked up and, and tried to introduce you to Jesus. The problem is, is when we really ask ourselves that question, it didn't really happen in the last year. How many Christians are there? Supposed to be a lot of us, right? I don't know the number. I'd have to check. I don't don't quite know. But when we look at this, he's saying, then I will, right? He's saying, then I will. Then I will ties back to that previous verse, right? If I have the joy of my salvation, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. I'm going to do that so, so, so that sinners will turn back to you. I believe that the, the, one of the main reasons why we aren't winning people to Jesus is because we've lost the joy of our salvation. We've lost the fact that he is intended for us to walk in joy. We're walking around like this. Man, really thought I was going to get that. Woe is me, right? We're all sad. And we're just sad. And I thought it was going to be perfect. I thought Jesus was going to do it all. I, I don't know how long I can keep kicking like that, guys. I'm going to pull something, okay? That's what we do. We're walking around like a people who don't understand that we serve Jesus Christ. The God of all gods, the God who understands and came and died as a sacrifice for us. We're forgetting the fact that he did that. And we're finding ourselves having pity for ourselves for silly things. Oh, man, ran out of toilet paper again. (laughs) Right? We're getting mad. We're kicking the dog on the way out. We're spitting in the goldfish bowl. Right? We're just mad at the world. Right? That's not what we're supposed to be. That's not what we're supposed to be. It says here, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. See, we sing joy to the world, right? The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And there's more words after that, just so you know. You have to look out the song. Trust me. We're singing these things, but are we preparing room for him? Are we truly making plans already for next year for what we want to see happen in our lives, in our spiritual lives? Not in your career. Not in your children's lives, but in our spiritual lives. What are you longing for for next year? 
What are you what are you looking for? See, the whole problem with this joy is we have so many glimmers of hope with it, but we lose the motivation, we lose the passion, we lose the focus, whatever it is, right? You might have a moment, you might have a moment here on a Saturday night where you say, you know what, this is it. This is time for change. I'm not gonna keep living like this. I'm gonna make a difference. I'm not, I'm gonna get into my word. I'm gonna do all this. And then guess what? You walk out the door and you're like, oh, yeah, that's probably. That's going to be tough. <laughs> that's that's going to that's going to take and then we lose connection with it. And we lose connection with the joy of our salvation because we get disconnected. We get disconnected from the body and we get disconnected from Jesus. Because we place him somewhere that he's not intended to be. We've lost the joy of knowing the savior, the joy of recognizing who he is, and we need to shift our priorities, guys. We need to get back to the place where Jesus Christ Jesus Christ, not Jesus the baby in the manger, but Jesus Christ on the throne is the center of our lives. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is what I believe wraps this up, okay? Ephesians chapter 4 is really the shift that we're talking about and the shift that I believe that we need to make as we move into what God is wanting to do here. Chapter 4, verses 21 through 24 says this. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. I'm going to say that again. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You know, there's a lot of people that say, I'm just trying to follow my heart. Guess what? Your heart is evil. That's what the word says. Deceitful. Don't follow your heart. Follow the spirit of God. Follow where he's taking you. It says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Churches all over the nation tomorrow are going to be spending time recognizing that Jesus Christ was born. There's going to be great programs. There are going to be some adorable children singing. It's going to be beautiful. I'm going to be honest with you. There are some amazing programs. I've seen some of them. Some of them were doing them last week. They are absolutely adorable, okay? Here's the deal. I don't want you walking out of here today saying, you know what? Jesus did come. It was cool that he came. He was a baby. Cool. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to walk out of here recognizing that not only did he come, I don't want you to recognize who he was, I want you to recognize who he is. Because Jesus Christ, he did so much for you. And he wants so much for you. And if you're going to experience the best that life has for you, it's not going to be in what everyone else is going to tell you. I'm telling you, it's going to be in Jesus. And we have to make a shift as a people, as a church, as a body, to say he is going. Listen, the church, the church of God in general, listen, we can be a church that is just okay with status quo. We can come in here. We can do this thing. We can give. We can, we can talk about, hey, I went to church. We can do all that. And I tell you what, it's just going to be a big old waste of my time. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is getting Jesus Christ shifted in the place that he is going to take me where he wants me to go. Not where my career wants me to go. Not even where my family wants me to go. Where he wants me to go. 
See, when we allow him to truly take the reins and allow him to really do that, let me tell you, that whole shift, it, it will change everything around you, right? The baby Jesus, what did he change? Everything. Just, I'll just go ahead and answer that for you. Everything. He changed everything. What did he do? He was born. And see, you are sitting there today, many of you thinking that you've got to do some big, colossal, monumental, you've got to build this, you've got to, you've got to give to this, you've got to, whatever it is, and I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to shift Jesus back to be the center of your life. That's what you need to do. There's nothing else you need to do. There's no, there's no big, big program you need to go through. You don't need to go through a 12-step program, a 10-step program, a two-step program. What you need to do is you need to shift Jesus back into the center of your life. The whole purpose of what we do here as a church is literally to get focused back on the simplicity of who Jesus was. The simplicity of what he was. That's why we don't have big lights. We don't have big shows. We don't have all of that stuff. Why? Because there are great churches that already do that. I don't need to fill that gap for someone else. What we need to do is we need to, to simply present you who Jesus is and who Jesus was. Guess what he wasn't? He wasn't necessarily peace. <laughs> Sometimes he brought a sword. And I'll tell you that what will happen is if you allow Jesus to really come into your life, where you, you make a decision to change, here's what's going to happen. There's gonna, it's going to cut you like a sword. There are going, there's going to be this side of you that you want to hold on to, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to cut it off of you. And you're going to try to scramble, and you're going to try to grab for it, and he's, going to, he's just going to keep cutting it off of you. Because guess what? That's not what Jesus wants for you. And when you put him into that place, he's going to mess it all up. Everything that you thought was right is going to be wrong. That's the shift that's coming. And I believe that if we really open ourselves up to it, I believe it will change everything that we do, everything that we say, every place that we go. Listen, this shift, this shift is not only, it's not only about believing in Jesus, right? It's about putting on this new self. No more excuses, right? Well, it's just really hard, right? No more lies. I'm going to do better tomorrow, <laughs> right? No more complacency, Listen, we put Jesus in there, there, there ain't going to be a spot for complacency if you really let him do it. And I want to I I share with you a little bit about my story, okay? I, I got saved when I was nine years old, okay? Just a little dude. Probably about right there, right? Nine years old, I got saved. Just so you know, at nine years old, I hadn't done really anything too crazy. I don't think I'd done anything crazy at all. My, my biggest concern was that I had Brian to look up to as a brother, right? So I needed Jesus, guys. I needed something to look up to, right? <laughs> and so I accepted Jesus at nine years old. Next week I was baptized, right? Like, I mean, it was like that in my church growing up. And uh, so I kind of lived this Jesus thing. And then about 10, 11 years later, all of a sudden I recognized who Jesus was. Because, see, for me, he was baby in a manger, came for my sins, cashed my ticket to heaven. <laughs> cool. I'm in. Cha-ching. I got a Bible that's got the name and date on when it happened, so that's my proof. That's my ticket, right? Come to find out, you won't have that ticket. I'm just telling you right now, okay? That old Bible, it's not going to necessarily do it. Here's what happened with me. I got to a place, Bethany and I got to a place in our marriage where... At a very young age, 
I knew that there was going to be more, right? And I could see that in my wife. And I could see that because every single thing that she did, she prayed about, right? I told you guys. I've told you guys that many, many times. She prays about everything. There's nothing that that girl does not pray about. I'm just telling you right now. If you ask her what's for dinner, she's going to be like, I'm going to pray about it. (laughs) She might not do that. (laughs) But she prays about everything. And so as I, as I started learning more about her, I was like, man, this girl really sees God about a lot of stuff, you know? <laughs> Lots of stuff, even me, right? <laughs> and what happened is we together began to pray because here's what happened. We wanted to learn what God had for us. We wanted to learn it for ourselves. We didn't because, listen, both of us grew up in great Christian homes, both of us. And so here's what happened is we had two sets of beliefs about Jesus and God and all these different things. And so what we did is we finally got to a point and literally it was in our bedroom. And I remember us kneeling down to pray and we said, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray that God begins to reveal his word to us, that he begins to show himself to us, that we no longer become reliant on someone else to teach us the word of God. We want the Holy Spirit to begin to show us. And let me tell you what happened. (laughs) When I asked the Holy Spirit to, to, to really enter in, right, and to really start showing me what this word of God meant, I couldn't get my face out of it. There were days that I was just like, just like, I mean, in it. She'd be going to bed and I'm still in the word of God. And it's just speaking to me and it's speaking to me, it's speaking to me. What happened was there was a shift that took place. And when that shift took place, it changed everything. And what I'm telling you is if you know Jesus and you haven't encountered that type of shift yet, it's coming. I believe that. I believe that it's coming. I believe that he's ready to do it to you. I I believe that if you would just open up your heart and say, Holy Spirit, do what you want with my life, it will change everything. Everything. It'll change your schedule. It'll change your heart. It'll change where you go. It'll change what you do. It will change everything. But we need to, guys. We need to make that shift, right? I could have stayed in first gear for a really long time. Those tires were smoking pretty good. I mean, I could have just let them rip, right? But eventually, I had to shift. And too many of us are driving in first gear. And unfortunately, we're not even revving out the RPMs in first gear, guys. We got to get committed to this whole Jesus thing. We we can't we can't keep doing it the way we've been doing it. We need to get all in, all in, right? All in. That's what he wants. He doesn't want lukewarm, guys. All in. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we get ready to close. God, there is nothing more that He would want this year. No greater gift, no greater experience than for you to actually shift and allow him to become the Lord of your life. More than you've ever known him to be before, more than you've ever allowed him to be before, but to truly shift him where he's supposed to be. Because I'm telling you guys, when I did it, it messed me up. It messed me up in so many ways. And it's, it's all good, just so you know. <laughs> Some people don't like it. Some people get angry about it. Some opportunities that maybe I had left me. 
You know, I had a great opportunity once. I was working at this place, and they had big things for me. I mean, they were talking about huge opportunities. And then I started seeing them do some things that were completely unethical, completely wrong, just horrible. And I said to them, hey, guess what? I ain't going to work for me. And they're like, just trust me. It'll be all right. I was like, no, not for me. It's not going to be all right. So I walked away, just walked away. There are some things that you guys need to walk away from. There are some things, some doors that you've opened that you need to slam shut. Not be like, I think I'm going to stop doing this. No, you need to slam that door shut. You've let some things into your life that weren't supposed to be there. You've put some things on that throne that was reserved for Jesus. And I believe that tonight he wants you to start making that shift. So how does that look? We're going to play a song, and when we play this song, I want to open up this altar for prayer. Just like I've been telling you guys, we do three things in our service. We worship God. We give him honor and praise. We receive the word of God. We receive. We listen. I'll tell you that I, I, always, I always take a lot of pride that I believe that we have a very attentive church that listens to the word of God. I believe that we do. So I believe that we receive the word. But I believe that last thing that we keep talking about is we respond to the word of God. See, it's when we respond to the word that things change. Things happen. It is a a moment where you subject yourself to say, God, I want more of you. You say, God, I'm ready for you to take this life. God, I'm done trying to do this on my own. I'm done trying to figure it out. I'm done doing it wrong. I am going to submit myself to you and respond to the word that is spoken out of here. That's what we do. That's what we do. And so I'm going to give you a time to respond to the word. Now, how does that look? For some of you, that's going to mean you're going to come up here and you're going to pray. You may kneel and pray. You may stand and pray. You may say, Tom, I need someone to pray with me because I don't even know what to say. And I'll tell you what to do. Grab any of us right around here. We're going to pray for you. Grab us, tap us on the shoulder and say, would you pray with me? Absolutely. I'm not going to look at you and be like, get lost. (laughs) Figure it out on your own, man. (laughs) That's not going to be the case. But what changes is when you take that step. When you take that step to finally say, you know what, I'm ready for more. I'm ready to go in deeper. I'm ready to change the whole dynamic of my life. I'm ready to shift him to be the Lord of my life. If that is you today, I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to have them go ahead and play this song. And as they do, I want to open up this altar and allow you to respond to the word of God. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for taking us into your word deeper, God. And I just pray that as we go, that, God, we would continue this shift, God, to put you in the center of our lives. God, we love you. God, we love you. And I pray that we would honor you as we go this week to celebrate your birth. God, I just pray that you would be with us. God, that you would touch every family in this house. God, that you would just minister to them. Keep them safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.